Uh, hey, so we are in the Gospel of Luke. We are working our way ever so slowly through the Gospel of Luke, but it's been kind of fun. So uh, last week, if you were not here, we talked about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and how if Jesus needed to grow in wisdom and stature, how much more do we? And the idea there was simply that um, sometimes as, as followers of Christ, we, we settle for you know, we read scripture or maybe we even memorize scripture, but really the way that we grow in wisdom is to incorporate it into our lives, to, to, to incorporate what we, what we know of God's word into the fabric of our lives. What John Wimber used to call being a word worker. You take the word of God and you work it into your lives. And that's really where the wisdom of God and the maturity of the Lord comes into us. So that was our uh, message last week. Today we are going to get into chapter three finally and be reintroduced to uh, John the Baptist. I want to start a little differently this morning. I want to read the passage first, then give you some context, and then we'll kind of actually start the message. So if you would go ahead and put up, there's two slides. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia and Trachonitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every hill shall be filled in, every mountain shall be and hill made low. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. Sorry about that. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Interesting uh, closing verse there. I want to say that sometimes you hear, uh, and I do it, I'm guilty of it, reading that as all God's people will see salvation, but it doesn't say that. It says all people will see God's salvation. So uh, that's a great promise. Luke gives us here uh, quite a bit of detail. So, you know, sometimes in Scripture, especially in, the, in, in Luke, Luke is very good about giving us a timeline of events. And if he were merely giving us a timeline, uh, kind of a, a marker here, when did this happen? He could have said in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. That would have been enough to mark that. But he adds more information about Pontius Pilate and Philip and all these different leaders. Um, so what is his purpose in doing that? He's really making a point. And, and, and here's the point that Luke is communicating to us. All, all of these guys, all these people had something in common. And what they had in common is that they're all control freaks. Uh, they were all power mongers who were kind of jockeying for position. They were all somewhat arrogant in their leadership style. Even the, um, the religious leaders here, Annas and Caiaphas, were fairly self-serving. Uh, the other thing that Luke is doing here is he is he is tying the beginning to the end. Uh, so what you'll notice, there's a number of names here, Herod, Pilate, Caiaphas, people who are involved in the, in the death of John the Baptist and ultimately in the death of Jesus, and he's kind of communicating to us that they're there and, the, and so the role that they play throughout. <coughs> so it's an interesting <coughs> little uh, segment there. Caesar was at this time Caesar's <coughs> sorry guys image was on the coins of the day 
And he was demanding to be worshipped as Lord and God. That's how you bow to Caesar as Lord, is what you said. <coughs> now to the Jews, that was blasphemy. The Jews worshipped Yahweh as their Lord and God, and yet now they're under Roman occupation and they are forced to bow to Caesar. Philip the Tetrarch, who is mentioned here, built a temple to Caesar over the top of a Jewish graveyard. And obviously that was just a slap in the face. You know, that's a typically a, a, a cemetery is a, is a kind of sacred ga- ground. You don't just come in and as a real estate developer build a, a big building or even a church or anything else on top of a graveyard. But that's <coughs> exactly what he did as a sort of a slap in the face to the Jewish community. So there was a lot of turmoil a lot of drama, a lot of change happening during this time period. Uh, jockeying for position, uh, we know the story, we, know, we understand how it worked. If, if the Jewish people were to in any way stand up against any of these leaders, against Herod, against Pilate, against Caesar, uh, might not go well for you. So uh, these were chaotic times, all right? Into this chaos comes John. And John has a message of hope. And so our title today, if you want to go to the next slide, uh, there you go, Hope in the Midst of Chaos. Uh, I want to um, pray and then we'll talk a little bit about how John addressed the cultural situation taking place in the first century. So Father, thanks for your, uh, your word and I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and uh, allow us just to, to receive your word today and that it would in fact Uh, Help us to grow in wisdom and stature as we seek to follow you. Amen. So in some ways, there are some parallels (laughs) between that day and our day. They're not exactly the same. Don't ever laugh at me again. Hey, I woke up today kind of not feeling good. Um, What? But it was... It's not exactly the same, but there are some parallels. I think we can draw some parallels. We have, in case anybody hasn't noticed, there. Oh, you're the you're just the best. Some political unrest in our in our culture today, right? Do we? Maybe a little bit. Uh, There's a grappling for power and and sort of some jockeying for position. Um, First century Israel, there was a lot of change happening. We live in a time when a lot of change is happening as well. So there are. Technological advances, medical advances, things like that taking place all the time. And, you know, that's really kind of a two-edged sword. On one hand, it's really good. But on the other hand, it's not that good because all the technology in the world, all the advances in the world haven't solved all the problems of the world yet. Uh, There is still evil in the world. There's still sickness in the world. There's still a lot of things taking place that those things can't resolve. Um, The other thing is this, that that... That level of change, and tell me if I'm alone in this, but sometimes the level of change can be a little bit confusing. Uh, and, and here's the deal. This is, it's the first time in history, really, when tomorrow is not a logical extension of today. Throughout most of history, if things happen a certain way, at a certain time, you could pretty much count on that that thing happening tomorrow in the same way in sort of the same pattern. But today that's not the case. We don't really know day to day what might happen next. There's, there's such rapid change and so many things happening that 
we're never sure. I saw this thing a couple weeks ago in the news about self-driving cars. And I looked at that. Now, I'm a little bit old school, but I thought, that can't be a good idea. All right? Uh, cars that drive themselves? I'm not sure. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that they pr- they're actually probably better than some of the people that are driving cars right now. But, you know, um, cell phones. So some of you guys have always had a cell phone. You grew up with cell phones, and that's part of your life. We did not. I did not have a cell phone growing up. We had to go find a pay phone to call home or whatever. It was, it was a very different deal. Donna and I were married. I don't know how long we were married, but we were married and had kids before cell phones came out. And I remember the first cell phone, she bought it and handed it to me. She goes, here, you have to have this. This is for you. And I go, no, I don't want that. That's bad. Take it away. She goes, no, you need it. You have to have this. I go, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. <clears throat> so now here we are, whatever, 25 years later or so, and uh, I, if I don't, if I, if I, if I leave the house in the morning and I'm driving down my street and I realize I don't have my phone, I go into a full blown panic attack. I go full on fast and furious, Tokyo drift, turn the car around, go home, run in. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Because if I don't have my phone for four minutes, I might die. So it's a complete switch, a complete turnaround from, you know, no, I don't want that to, I can't live without it. So all I'm saying really is that our culture today, the society we live in can be a little bit confusing, a little bit chaotic at times. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's, un- it's unpredictable. It's constantly changing. Uh, ch- change, you know, I mean, generation by generation, I was thinking when we were growing up, there was this thing called the American Dream. Anybody remember that? American Dream was not a bad deal. It was basically, you get a decent job, you get married, you have a couple kids, you buy a house, and you live happily ever after. And that was it. That was sort of the goal. You know, uh, today, that is, that is really unattainable for many people. You know, if you look at just our area where we live in, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of construction going on. Lots and lots of homes being built. If you've been over off of Schultz Ferry Road, whichever direction that is, out by our house in Wilsonville, huge tracks of homes being put in. And I'm driving by one of those the other day. You know, it says, you know, 30 new homes beginning in the 500s. And so I'm thinking, here's these new homes being built that start in the $500,000 range. So if you're looking for the American dream, if you're 25 and you just got married and you want to buy a house, can you afford a $500,000 house? Probably not. And even to buy an older home, you know, that you fix up a little bit or whatever, it's going to cost you a significant amount of money. And so young families today are faced with maybe, you know, both mom and dad working, maybe working two jobs, maybe working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. It's, it's very, very complicated compared to the lifestyle that has been known by most people in this country in the past. Not only that, on top of all that, there's a lot of instability. Nothing is guaranteed anymore. It's 10 years in the rearview mirror now, but most of us remember the, the big recession that hit in 2008 and the reality that across our country, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people lost their homes. And some of them are still 10 years later in recovery from that. So here's the thing. Culture is confusing. It's changing. Uh, it's, it can be frightening. It's, a, it's chaotic. I think there are 
Okay, these are generalizations. Not everybody fits neatly into one of these categories, but kind of by and large. Generally speaking, there are sort of three responses to this. And the first one is there, there is a group of people, there, it's not a large group, but some folks just choose to ignore it. It just doesn't exist, you know. Uh, you bury your head in the sand, no, 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 I can't hear you, and you just pretend it's not there. You know, I, I have people tell me now and then, well, I don't watch the news because it's all bad and I don't want to know the bad news. Well, okay, I, I understand that on one level, but on another level, there may be some things that actually affect you and you might want to know about them. There's another group, and I think this is actually a larger group, that uh, kind of goes into what I would call survival mode or survival of the fittest mode, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to take control. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to make this thing happen for me and forget everybody else. If I can't keep up with the Joneses, I'll run the Joneses over and I'll take what they have and make that mine. And that's sort of the mindset. And you can counter that from time to time. Every once in a while, I meet a, a young person who's just so aggressive and so forceful in their, in their, their goals in life. I just think, man, just, just calm down, calm down. The third thing, and I don't know, sometimes it seems to me this may be actually the largest group, is people just go into despair. They don't ignore it. They're aware of, aware of the situation, but just sort of resolve there's nothing I can do. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. And the truth of the matter is, if I don't succeed and my lifestyle isn't like the people on TV, then I really am a loser. And you just sort of fall into that. So in, in the first century, tremendous chaos is happening, power-mongering leaders, Roman occupation, a corrupt religious system, and John the Baptist comes and he preaches a very different message, a very different message. Before I look at John's message, I want to take just a minute, I think contextually it'll help us a little bit, to look at John himself. Go, go ahead and hit the next slide. We're told... In chapter 3, verse 2, we saw this a minute ago. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, go ahead and hit one more. Back in chapter 1, verse 80, it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, a couple things. First of all, I looked up that word wilderness in the Greek, and it means wilderness. So, so he's been living in the woods, okay? That's, just, that's, that's, the, that's the reality here. Second thing is, we don't know exactly how much time has transpired between 180 and 3-2. But I thought about it, and if you kind of use the life of Jesus as a timeline, because they were born basically the same time and their ministries started at the same time, then realistically speaking, John has probably been living in the woods for... 10, 12, 15, maybe as many as 18 years. So he is what we would call off the grid, okay? Uh, Go to one more. Matthew tells us this about John. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay, John's way off the grid, Okay, he's been living in the woods for 15 years eating bugs, okay? Here, this is my observation, all right? My observation is this. There's two kind of people that live in the woods, prophets and serial killers. Now, I'm not making necessarily any sort of connection between those two, 
But I am saying this, that there's a certain eccentricity that comes with the prophetic voice. Um, and look, I'm going to give John the benefit of the doubt and assume that all those years eating bugs in the cabin in the woods, that he was in the presence of God, that he was pursuing God. However, he was a strange guy. Go ahead and go to the next one. You can't see it very good. Turn the lights off for a second. You got to see this. There you go. That's from the Jesus film. Okay, you can turn it back on. But that's John the Baptist in the Jesus film. I googled John the Baptist images. And so most of them are icons and artistic renditions. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of photography going on. So they're paintings. But all the paintings of John, he looks fairly normal. And then I saw this, and I go, that's it. This was not a normal guy. He's been living in the woods eating bugs for 15 years. No, he's a wild man. And my guess is this. So, so why do I bring that up? This is why I bring that up. Because my, my guess is this. John did not show up and say, all right, everybody. Now, we, I want you to repent, okay? Everybody needs to play nice, and I don't want you to do what you've been doing anymore. I need you to come over here and follow Jesus. My guess is that John came in and said, Repent! You know, he, he, was, he was a little, uh, he, he was probably a little wound up. He has a different message. Don't, he, you know, don't hide. Don't despair. Don't give up. There's another alternative. John says, here's what's happening. God is coming. God is real, and God is going to bring about change. God is going to make a difference in the culture that we live in right now. He is going to cause us to have a way to go in the midst of the chaos that surrounds us all the time. Go to the next slide. Prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, make straight paths for him. Now, here's, here's the, the, the thing. Well, first of all, let me just say this. John's message was a message of repentance, okay? So we talked about repentance a couple weeks ago. Remember, repentance is simply turning around going a different direction. And so John is saying this corporately. And I think this is a word for us today in the middle of the chaos that we live in. Don't give in to the status quo. Don't buy into what everybody else is doing. Don't do the same thing everybody else is doing. Don't despair. Don't compete. Go a different direction. There was a movie, uh, if I was Kevin, I would show a clip from it, but I'm not. You might even find one. It was in the 80s, a movie called War Games. Anybody remember? So it was Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy, and Broderick is a computer hacker and a gamer, and he accidentally hacks into NORAD, and he's playing what he thinks is a missile launch game but he's actually really playing nuclear launch with the Russians. And so somehow in the context of the movie, they figure that out and they go and they try to resolve it, but they can't. It starts too late and the Russians think that they're going to launch their missions and so they're going to launch their missiles and it all gets very scary and they don't know what to do. And then at the end of the movie, and this is the only part I didn't like, is the computer's the smartest guy in the room. But the computer says this, and it's brilliant. The only way to win the game is not to play. 
So John's message was repent and go a different way. Don't play the game. Don't play the game. Don't don't allow yourself to get sucked into the polar vortex. It's kind of cool, really. I mean, it's fun because, well, we're here. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not fun. I'm supposed to go to Chicago in a couple of weeks. I'm thinking, man, it's going to be cold there. But we're, 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 you know, in any case, John's message really was a message of hope in the midst of chaos. That's what it was. And I believe the word of God for us today really is a message of hope in the midst of chaos. We live in chaotic times. Nobody's going to dispute that. In regard, I don't care what your persuasion is, what you think about it all, where you stand on any, any given issue. It's crazy. This is crazy. And, and I think that we can learn to not allow ourselves to be overcome by the chaos that surrounds us and to go a different direction and really hope in and believe in the presence of God in the midst of whatever is happening. And it says here, and this was what I started to say a minute ago, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That verse is sometimes also misquoted and sometimes you'll hear people say, prepare the way of the Lord. But it's not prepare the way of the Lord. It's prepare the way for the Lord. And I believe that the message to us in that is this, prepare your heart for the Lord. Prepare your heart to receive what the Lord has. God has good things, but if we don't prepare the way for him, we cannot grasp onto those things and, we, and they don't become real to us. They become real when we prepare our heart. And again, I don't know, but maybe that's what John was doing in the cabin in the woods for 15 years, was preparing his heart to receive what God has. And I don't think you need to go to the woods, but you can prepare your heart for what God has and be open to receiving that because he really does want, I believe, to speak and breathe hope into his people. And I believe we are called Followers of Jesus, Christians today, are called to be beacons of hope in the midst of all the chaos. I really think people can look to us and say, why isn't that guy freaking out? Because we're going a different direction. And, and again, I mean, look, it's a mess. It's a mess out there. But, you know, I said this a few weeks ago too. God's seen it before. This is not new to him. And I believe he really does want his people to rise above the chaos that kind of is surrounding and swirling in, in culture today and to go a different direction. And to, and to really, and, and, and I'll tell you this, I, this is, I believe God's calling us to be a prophetic people. And a prophetic people really means living in that presence, living in that reality, not necessarily being like John and, and speaking out prophetic things, but just being a prophetic people by living in that prophetic presence of what God's plan is for us. To walk day by day in the hope that we have in him, to walk day by day in his presence and in really the joy of relationship with God in the midst of whatever else is happening. You can still have the joy of the Lord in your life even when stuff isn't going that great. Okay, every valley will be filled in. So sometimes there are low points in our life. God says, no, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to level those out for you. 
Every hill and every mountain will be made low. So sometimes there's obstacles in front of us that seem insurmountable. You know, you go, I can't get over this. I can't get past this. I can't get around this. Uh, God says, no, let let me take care of it. I'll level that out for you. Every crooked road will become straight. Rough ways will become smooth. God will lead us and guide us if, if we're willing to prepare our hearts and receive what he has and yield to what he has. Amen? All right, let's stand. And I forgot to call you guys back up.